Hello, welcome to Bethel Baptist Church Podcast. Today, October 18th, 2020, Pastor Cox begins a new series and introduces to us the book of Ephesians. We're going to walk through the book of Ephesians, and I, I want to just tell you this up front, that the idea for this series came long before we started talking about uh, revitalization and all of those kind of things that came long before. When we were in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I was burdened to preach through some of the things that, that we had been talking about in that, and so I worked through the uh, practical Christianity, and then I got to the, to the end of that and really began to focus in on some things like uh, conversion and, and uh uh, actually just uh, trying to walk with the Lord and those kind of things. And the more I preached on those things, the more I was directed back to the book of Ephesians. And so that's where we're going to be. And uh, we're going to just kind of do an introductory message today uh, for this. And, and um, we're going to be looking at... There we go. Whoop. Could you put me back on the very first... Good, thank you. All right, there we go. So we are looking at God's glorious plan, and we're looking at, at chapters in Acts, of all things, 18 and 19, and we're going to walk through that. Now, on March 11th, 1942, in the midst of the Pacific War against the Empire of Japan, Douglas MacArthur left the Philippine Islands having made a parting vow. He said, I shall return. And three years later, MacArthur made good on that promise and uh, to rout the enemies from the um, Philippines. I wanted to say Philippians so bad. From the Philippines, thus making that three-word vow famous. Now, 19 centuries earlier, the Apostle Paul made a much more humble version of the same promise to the city of Ephesus. He said in chapter 18 of Acts, in verse 21, I shall return to you if God wills. Circumstances prevented him from staying any longer in that great city, though Ephesus teemed with the fish that were ready to be netted by the gospel. And I'm sure that the desire to stay in Ephesus must have been overwhelming, but Paul boarded a vessel to Corinth on his way back to Antioch, and Ephesus, Ephesus was merely a brief stayover on that long journey home. So this morning, as we are thinking through the big idea that we have, is that Ephesians shows us the deeper reality of God's all-encompassing rule and how our daily, seemingly mundane lives contribute to the accomplishment of God's glory, of, to God's glorious plan. Now, before we tear into working through Ephesians verse by verse, learning all the nuances of Christ's majesty, his design for the church. What I want to do this morning is explore the background of the letter and to see how Paul used it to stage for God's glorious plan. As we're thinking about God's glorious plan, that overall theme, and then what that looked like. Now this morning, what I want us to do is look at the context of Paul's work 
and to look at an overview of the book. And then we're going to end with three keys to remember. So we start out with Paul's context of ministry or the context of Paul's work. And open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 18. We're going to reference part of this, and eventually we'll get around to to reading part of this. But during his initial stay in Ephesus, Paul entered the synagogue as was his custom, regular custom. And according to Acts 18.19, he reasoned with the Jews. Some of them requested that he stay longer. But that was impossible. He had to return to his home base of Antioch and to report back to the churches that had sent him on his missionary journey. Paul did, however, uh, leave in Ephesus a Jewish husband and wife team who lived and worked in Corinth with him, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. And they shared in Paul's tent-making ministry, and so they were able to go in and work in building tents, and uh, they were able to stay on after Paul had left uh, and set sail. You see that in Acts chapter 18, uh, 18 through 21. Now, following Paul's furlough, during which he reported to the churches at Caesarea and Antioch, he set off on his third missionary journey. And he passed through the regions of Galatia and headed toward Ephesus. We find that in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. Now, according to the accounts in Acts chapter 19 and 20, Paul's ministry in Ephesus was long and fruitful, but yet it was not without controversy. Consider the major events that are described in the book of Acts. And I was going to put these up on the screen, and they were going to be just too much. All right, so let me just walk through these rather quickly, and I'll give you references to them uh, throughout uh, Acts chapter 19 and 20. Number one, he encountered followers of John the baptizer and preached the full gospel of Christ to them. So you see that in verses 19, 1 through 7. He spent three months reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue of Ephesus, persuading them about the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. He spent two years in the school of Tyrannus, teaching daily the word of God to Jews and Gentiles from all over the province of Asia. Acts 19, 9 and 10. He performed extraordinary miracles by the power of God, including the healing of the sick and casting out of demons. Acts 19, 11 and 12. Uh, his reputation as a miracle worker even affected Jewish exorcists who unsuccessfully attempted to use Paul's method for casting out demons, Acts chapter 19, 13 through 17. His preaching fueled the repentance of former sorcerers who burned their books of magic valued in the millions of dollars, Acts chapter 19, 18 through 20. He incurred the wrath of Demetrius, a silversmith, who was losing his business because all the people were no longer buying the miniature idols of Artemis or Diana, depending on which version that you're reading, but either name they use there is the goddess of of Ephesus, and that's Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 27. Finally, his preaching stirred up a riot in Ephesus, which culminated in his departure from Macedonia and Greece, Acts chapter 19, verses 28 through chapter 20 and verse 2. Wow, he covered more ground 
then, then you can imagine what an amazing ministry. Countless converts were saved through Paul's preaching. They grew by leaps and bounds by his teaching. The few seeds that had been planted there at the end of his second missionary journey became abundant fruit in the, two, in the first two years of his third missionary journey. Yet, again, let me remind you that that harvest was not without its hardships. A few months later, Paul summoned the elders of the church in Ephesus to him in, uh, by, at nearby Miletus. And there he says to them his farewell uh, and that they were to remain faithful to the ministry. Find that in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38. Through the words of the Ephesian elders, we learn a few details of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. You have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 18. Paul writes this, You yourselves know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials, it came upon through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What we see here is the time, tears, trials, teaching, and testifying, and all of these things together summed up Paul's ministry in Ephesus. These were the essential ingredients of the fruitful ministry in that great city. And frankly, we have no record, no biblical record of Paul ever visiting Ephesus again. The long, tear-filled embrace with those elders from the uh, Ephesian church that's described in Acts chapter 20 would indeed be the last time that they saw this man who was really their spiritual father in person. Yet those words on the shores of Miletus would not be the last words they heard from Paul. A few years later, while he was under house arrest in Rome, he was waiting an appeal before Caesar, Paul penned the letter to the Ephesians. And so we want to take some time then again today to look at the structure of the letter. So take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now we're not going to, to, to dig in and really start our verse-by-verse walkthrough of Ephesians chapter 1, but we want to take a look at kind of a, a, a bird's eye view, a sky view of um, this, this letter that Paul is writing. Now, Ephesians has two parts with two themes. Chapters 1 through 3 show that Christ, through his death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation, has reconciled us to Christ and to God, united Jews and Gentiles into one body, of which Jesus is the head. And, and this is the doctrinal section of chapters 1 through 3. In chapters 4 through 6, it instructs us on how to live in light of that position that we have in Christ. It is our new identity. How are we supposed to live 
in light of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. That's the practical section. It explains our part in accomplishing God's work. Embedded in all of this are three prayers that will also reinforce the structural balance of the letter. Paul prayed for the Ephesians' enlightenment at the beginning of chapter 1. He prayed for their ability to grasp God's or Christ's love in the middle of chapter 3. And he asked for prayers for him at the end of chapter 6. So there's three prayers involved in the book of Ephesians. There's also a set, three sets of seven. Okay? So there are seven spiritual blessings we find in chapter 1. Seven unities of the body of Christ found in chapter 4. And seven pieces of armor used in spiritual battles in chapter 6. So let's do a, a, another, another kind of a walkthrough here. So chapter 1 reveals to us what God has done for us and emphasizes God's generosity and Christ's headship. Verse 3 really gives us beautifully our first theme. So Acts chapter 1, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jump on down a bit to uh, Acts 1, or excuse me, Ephesians 1 and verses 20 through 23, and it reveals the grandeur of the second big theme that we see here. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He has put all things in subjection under his feet and given him head over all things to the church, which is the body which the, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And though that's the second big theme there. In Acts chapter 2, we see uh, it turns to discuss what Christ has already done for us and focuses on God's grace. We would be remiss if we did not mention Act, or Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus chapter 2 also exalts his reconciliation of all people to each other look at verse 14 of Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles here, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. That middle wall of partition has been destroyed because of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 emphasizes revelation, discussing what the mystery means to us. Re, look here and, and see Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 3 through 5. 
that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, which has been now revealed, been revealed to by excuse me, been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets and spirit. So in chapter 3, we see this, the mystery. And the mystery is, I'm going to give it away, the church. The mystery is the church. In chapter 4, Paul here shifts from the firm foundation of doctrine to practical steps of faith. Paul moved from description to direction. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. I, Paul, then the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling where which you have been called. Verse 4 then is, is a verse that explains what it looks like to walk with God. The walk of the believer. Our steps include Okay, our steps include humility, maturity, gentleness, stability, patience, honesty, unity, tolerance, love, knowledge, harmony, kindness, compassion, forgiveness. We got a lot to do. We got a lot of work cut out for us. Amen? It's, it's amazing. All the things that Paul sees there that, that we need to be involved in. In the next section here, Acts chapter 5, verses uh, to 6, and and verse 9 is the life of the imitator shows us how we are to emulate Christ in the discussion of ourselves. How do we conduct ourselves in Christ? I think we see three distinct spheres here of how that works. It's in the world, in the home, and in the workplace. And we'll spend time walking through all of those. Paul concludes his instructions in chapter 6, verses uh, 10 through 20, where he talks about uh, explaining the strategy of the warrior. The strategy includes a plan of attack for both demonic forces and human oppression. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to tip this just a little bit for you, that what you're going to see when we walk through Ephesians chapter 6 in this portion is that there is nothing covering the backside of the warrior. He is never, never to fall back in retreat, always to move forward in his walk with God. Chapter 6, verses uh, uh, 21 through 24, and here's just kind of a final thought here. Paul ends his letter just as he began, again with grace and peace. Now, we want to take a look at three thoughts uh, that we want to remember from this important letter. There's three thoughts that we want to keep in mind. Number one is a reminder. We are all under the headship of Christ our Lord. Because we serve Jesus and answer to him, it's incumbent upon all believers that we be submissive to both him and to each other. The second reminder that we want to give is a relief. We belong to a body. 
We are not alone. You're not alone on this walk with God. You're not by yourself. You're not the lone ranger. You're not the one that's just out there all by themselves. And, and we need to understand that. We don't have to act on our own or handle our problems by ourselves. We can take refuge in the body of Christ. We can go directly to God for our instruction as a necessary prerequisite, we need to be committed to Christ. We need to be committed to one another and willing to share our hearts. Finally, the third reminder is this. It's a reassurance that we can stand against the assault of our enemies. We have God's resources available to us. We do not lack in anything regarding the power of God in our lives. We have that power available to us, and to take advantage of them, we need to become equipped to utilize them properly. And so we're going we're gonna to walk through all of this, and we are going to see how it all fits together. And, and I think it is going to be incredibly profitable. We have a concluding thought this morning. Most of us are busy. That was, there we go. Most of us are busy. So busy that we rarely have time to sit back, to relax, and to think. Just think. We may not have heretics to fight. We may not have false teachers to expose. Or we may not have sadistic Roman emperors to run from. But that doesn't mean that we have any more time on our hands. But frankly, being busy is not an excuse. Our high-tech information age has forced us to live in the fastest-paced culture that the world has ever seen. I was thinking about that this week. And I remember the first time that at our church in Clear Lake, we got a Skype call from one of our missionaries. I mean, man, that was cutting-edge technology. To, and, and it was all broken up, and it was hard to understand, hard to hear. But we talked to our missionary from Germany. I'll never forget that. It was, it was just like, how awesome could this be? Do you realize that, that we do the same thing with text and, and Messenger and, and FaceTime? and Microsoft Teams, and, and Zoom meetings. And we've gotten to the place where we, we don't even think about it anymore. We don't think about it. But the benefits of taking time out are nothing short of miraculous. Just ask Paul, who took time to contemplate the gift of Christ and everything we have because of him. So what I want us to do is to follow Paul's lead by turning aside from the immediate pressures of life and to soak up timeless truths found in Ephesians. And so I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you. 
I'm going to challenge you that, that this week, every day, you would read through the book of Ephesians as you prepare yourself to handle that book, to walk through that book, to, to understand that book. We want to have a fuller sense of reassurance. We want to have relief about our life as, as Christians. So what I'm asking you to do is to join me in this study of Ephesians. Join us. Get, let's all get together and walk through this so that in the book of Ephesians, it will show us how you can become fully submissive, fully committed, fully equipped, allowing you to bear better worship Christ and participate in his plan for your life. Are you ready? Does it sound interesting? Okay, some of you are like, what would you say? Uh, okay, trust me, this is going to be good stuff. And it is going to be encouraging for each one of us as we seek to walk with Christ and to do the things that it says there, to be fully submissive to Christ and his church, to be fully committed to Christ and his church, and to be fully equipped for Christ and his church, that we might walk together to bring glory and honor to God. Father, this morning we do thank you for the opportunity to have, have walked through this look into the book of Ephesians. We ask, God, that as, as we come before you, that, that we recognize our need to be fully submissive and, and fully committed and fully trained and, and, and to do the things that we need to do. Father, we love you this morning. And we ask that you would meet with us throughout this week as we pray for our church, as we pray about the things that we've, we've mentioned earlier today, but also as we read and pray through the book of Ephesians. Father, help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us to bring glory and honor to you through your word. We love you this morning, Father. Thank you for the opportunity to preach. May your name be lifted up, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.